This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 6, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Promoters of Elon Musk's new battery technology say it signals the beginning of the end for fossil fuel energy. Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, argues that we're a long way from that outcome and our electricity grid isn't structured to promote all of the benefits battery technology might deliver. Elon Musk has announced a new uh, battery system that would allow uh, you know, vast quantities of energy to be, to be stored, and uh, he's pitching it as something that would allow businesses and individuals alike to uh, store energy and make use of it at some later time at a, at a lower cost than it has been uh, in that market. Uh, many press accounts have argued that this uh, breakthrough will increase the adoption of uh, solar power, particularly on rooftops in the United States. I want to throw a bit, a, a little bit of cold water on those arguments um, in today's discussion. What is the number one problem with uh, these batteries being used to? store up the cheap energy or store up the cheap energy and use it when the energy is more expensive? Because that, that seems to be the ideal outcome, at least the one that, that they're trying to tout. Well, if you, if you look at actual uh, locational marginal prices for generation on the grid, any place in the United States, you would see the highest prices are during the summer afternoon and the lowest prices would be winter at night. So solar already has good attributes in the following sense. It does deliver power when prices are highest. That would be in the summer, in the afternoon. In contrast, wind, another renewable technology that many environmentalists like, is horrible in that regard because wind is most available when it is least needed, i.e. in the winter at night. High winds that we all went through last winter when it's really cold you, you get a lot from wind, but in fact, we already have coal and natural gas at very low prices at those hours anyway, so wind is of very little use at, the, at that time. And at least solar is available when we need it the most. And thus, what I found out about these announcements is the notion that we need to transfer power from when solar is available during the daytime to a period when it's not, i.e. at night, actually generates no gains to trade because power is already plentiful and available at night. And thus, one does not need to store um, higher-priced solar to use at a time at night when, in fact, other means of production are actually very low cost, much lower than solar, even, even if we had some sort of carbon tax that, that uh, allegedly charged for the externalities created by traditional fossil fuel um, boilers. So the way that our electricity grid is currently set up, um, people who currently have solar panels on their homes and uh, then are actually sending some energy as, at certain times back out into onto the grid, uh, you say that they're overpaid for yes. what they're producing. If, if we wanted to, to uh, price that energy uh, accurately. Right now, um, in California and Hawaii, the, the states with the most solar adoption, 
um, those states have what are called net metering programs where people with solar installations on their rooftops are paid, well, their, their meter literally runs backwards. Uh, and so at the end of the month, there's a net volume of use from the grid, which is a gross amount they've used minus a, a, a net amount of generation or a gross amount of solar generation that they've participated in and sent back to the grid. And they're paid at a retail, whatever their retail rate is. And California has a very increasing rate block structure for reasons that I won't get into. And for very uh, big houses in, uh, so, and California has, has um, a thin zone near the coast where air conditioning isn't necessary, but as you go inland quickly, temperature rises. So electricity use in San Francisco is low, but once you get up and over the Berkeley Hills, it gets high, it gets hot, and air conditioning use is, is very high there. So as affluent suburbanites crank up their air and they have solar installations, they're paying 32 cents a kilowatt hour, a kilowatt hour in the California rate structure. So that makes solar adoption very, very uh, um, lucrative from, from their point because solar costs, I mean, there's solar now available in California. Firms will install it and for basically 17 cents a kilowatt hour. So you're paying 32 for conventional. You can use your own for 17, and you get paid 32 if you send some of your solar into the, into the grid. So solar adoption in California is certainly increasing, but it's the result of mispricing. The, the actual price, the marginal price of natural gas-fired power on the California system, even in the summer, uh, in the afternoon, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So th th society's not saving money, right? We're, we're installing something that costs 17 to not use something that costs 10, but we're paying people 32 for that 17 installation. Well, that's kind of losing on every sale and making it up on volume. So this, this is a, a, a very weird price spiral, which results in fewer and fewer people paying the fixed costs of transmission and distribution in the California system. And that means conventional rates have to keep rising from 32 to even more to try to recover the fixed costs. That in turn will induce more solar adoption because solar's, quote, cheaper, unquote. And in the end, you have everyone adopting solar and no one paying for the fixed costs of distribution and transmission. And that's not viable, right? So this, so this hype about solar and solar adoption and, and all of that is driven by mispricing largely in California. You talked about fixed costs and the variable costs, the, the rate uh, of, of consumption of electricity. If we were to design a Cato Energy Club and we wanted to get our prices correct on everything, you say that we should separate the payment of You'd have fixed, fixed costs and the variable costs. Right now, uh, we if have I understand some, you correctly, most systems are set up to where people are just paying a rate. Most systems have very low to, to moderate fixed charges per month. My bill uh, in Maryland has something like 10 or $11 fixed charge per month. Allegedly, that pays for meter, right? The meter metering has to occur regardless of how much you use. Um, the meter costs, 
And some of the distribution costs and transmission costs are recovered through that charge, but basically not much. Instead, that we have an explicit transmission and distribution and generation charge, all of which are based on use. So the more kilowatt hours a month you use, the more you pay towards transmission and distribution. But the costs of transmission and distribution are largely fixed. All the poles, all the wires have to be there regardless of how much anybody uses. So an Econ 101 pricing system would have a much higher fixed charge, a, 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 a volume charge, a kilowatt hour charge based much more closely on the true locational marginal costs of generation um, on the grid. And um, so the net bill would be more or less what it is now, but much more of it would be fixed and much less marginal. And under those circumstances, uh, solar would not be competitive. Um, I have, a, I'll read you a sentence from a paper uh, that came out of Berkeley last fall. The social welfare gained from increasing reliance on distributed photovoltaic generation is still far from clear. Even the most optimistic cost scenario suggests that the full social levelized cost of electricity from residential solar is likely at least 20 cents a kilowatt hour in relatively sunny areas. That is more than double the full cost of gas fire generation, including a greenhouse gas tax of $40 a ton, which of course is most places don't have. Even California cap and trade doesn't result in an effective tax of that level. The way our grids are set up, uh, the fact that so many people who have home solar units uh, built in, the fact that they're sending stuff back onto the grid, that does complicate the decision-making of the people who are essentially deciding what power generation sources go online and which don't to deal with uh, rising and falling demand. Right. Most newspaper accounts of solar are always glowing and net metering is positive, i.e. you're sending power back on the grid. How could that be a problem? Well, all conventional generation units, natural gas, nuclear, coal, um, and, and gas turbine are what are called dispatchable. That is, a central con control center in each region has data on all the generators and has bid prices on, on their, the cost of their fuel and, and what it costs for them to generate electricity. And then the supply curve for, for, for generation at any given moment consists of all those generators and kind of price order and then the most expensive ones aren't used if they're not necessary to meet demand. So when solar or wind comes onto the grid, that is what's called not dispatchable. The controller has no control over that. So they have to ramp down all the conventional units whose fixed costs have to be paid for, et cetera, et cetera. And None of that opt right, the, the price for all of that isn't conveyed to the solar net meter people. They, they, they don't realize that, in fact, their electricity, the rate at which they're being paid, is actually much more expensive than the actual wholesale cost of electricity on the grid at any one point. So it, things are mispriced, and because uh, renewables are not dispatchable under current technology, the poor controllers... Um, have great headaches trying to meet supply and demand with all of this uncontrollable uh, solar and wind that's increasing as a part of, of generation in the United States. And this, is, this all happens in part 
doesn't it? Because all of this stuff happens in real time. This is not, there's no notice of, of this energy coming onto the grid. The supply and demand of electricity on the AC grid in the United States has to be in equilibrium in real time at all times, otherwise it collapses. Pe- people don't realize what an incredibly amazing machine. It's really literally one machine. Well, we have three. We have the East Coast Interconnection, the West Coast Interconnection, and then Texas. Texas is actually separated from the other two grids in the United States. But believe it or not, everything east of the Mississippi has to be in equilibrium at all times. And that, do you re- I mean, as someone who's tried to understand how all this works, the engineering and physics of this are, it's amazing that it, it actually mostly works. I mean, we have some big power failures now and then, um, but basically we don't. And Adding non-dispatchable renewables to this system um, complicates keeping everything going. So what is the upside of having battery technology that is so much more advanced than it has been in the past? I'm thinking of just practical applications of dealing with blackouts at a, at a, at a home level or uh, elsewhere. That's but, true. But what, so, what, other, what are some other practical applications? If... Um, if someone is off the grid, so if someone is in remote mountain region or in the desert or wherever, and they're off the grid, then this is a godsend, right? So if you are solar and you don't use any electricity from the grid and you're not connected to the grid, then this battery development is absolutely, totally positive for you because it allows you to store electricity from the daytime and then use it at night. And since you're not connected to the grid, you would have to use um, a a, a diesel generator or something, or a gas fire generator, gasoline fire generator, or something like that once your solar uh, ran out and or your conventional batteries that are very expensive that you have now. The set of people that this affects is tiny, right? We're talking Alaska, the mountains of the West, and people off the grid. If you're on the grid, um, this doesn't do much in my view because power off right power at night from conventional sources because demand is low at night is very very cheap. So taking your expensive solar, storing it during the day, it makes no sense to try to sell it off peak to the grid because the price one would get if you were really paid the actual price. Uh, would be very low. And so it wouldn't be in your interest to buy this, ex- even though the price of this battery system is cheaper than the current battery system, I don't think it's still cheap enough to actually make you make it cost effective for you to rotate to, in effect, store electricity during the daytime and then sell it at night because you would just lose money if we priced you correctly. Which we don't. Which we don't. Peter Van Doren is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and editor of Regulation Magazine. Read Regulation and more of Peter's work at Cato.org.